0: If you have a Bible, pick up your Bible, open it up to Exodus chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles under the chairs. You can grab one of those. We're somewhere around page 59 to 60. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 18. It's around 59, 60 in the black Bibles. Or if you have a device, you can open up there. Also just want to say, if you don't have a Bible at home, we want to give you a Bible. You can keep that and take that home. We'd love for you to get in the habit of reading it and studying it for yourself, uh, checking out what it has to say. We're in this series this summer that we've called Ancient Faith. And in the Ancient Faith series, we've been learning that the Old Testament heroes of the Old Testament that are talked about in Hebrews 11, they also, like us, had to depend on God by faith. They had to trust God's goodness. They were not saved by just being better than everybody else, which is what we're tempted to think as religious people. We're all saved by trusting in God's provision. So in the Old Testament, they may not have known the rest of the story like we do, the specifics of Jesus. But they had to trust, and we have to trust in the provision of God. And so we're going to continue that series for the next few weeks. We're kind of doing Exodus part two this week. Last week it was Exodus faith. This week we're calling it corporate faith. Corporate faith. We're going to see the transition from the individual faith of individuals knowing God and walking with Him and trusting Him to this organization. God begins to build a people of God. Now, there's a difference between the nation-state of Israel and the church, which is a multinational, multi-ethnic, every tongue and tribe, every place sort of organization, right? So he's, he's gone global now, right? But in, in both instances, Old Testament and New Testament, we are to gather and organize and come together as a corporation. And I just want to acknowledge up front that the word corporate has started to have a negative meaning in our culture. Have you all noticed that? Corporate kind of has this like sinister business idea to it, or something. Or if you grew up like me, I kind of grew up with this like anti-organization bent. I'm afraid it was a a part of the whole Gen X generation. If you're military, you may not have that same infection that I have. But I kind of grew up almost with like an anti-corporate, anti-organization tendency. Um, and I was thinking about this, and I think a lot of our pop culture. References from the 80s reinforced this. Uh, There was a movie where this was reinforced, and it was a young man who was trying to date somebody's daughter, and he went to meet the dad, and the dad asked a good question, which is, you know, what are you going to do for a living, right? What do you want to do for a career? And it seemed like the guy didn't actually have any real plans. He just had things he did not want to do, right? So I'm going to read you the quote from the movie. It doesn't really matter what the movie is. It's a John Cusack movie from the 80s. He says this about what he wants to do with his life. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, bought or processed or repair anything sold, bought or processed, you know, as a career. I don't want to do that. And that was basically his plan for his life, right? And I think that's a good summary for Generation X, right? We're this cynical generation. Now, when you think about it, I'm I'm an old man now, I'm a grandpa now. Really, every generation, I think, goes through this. You know, young people want to reject the way the previous generation did things. So in a sense, this happens with every generation. But we just want to start off recognizing that our faith is, at its core, essentially a relationship between an individual and God. That is where we start. It is an individual relationship. And yet God calls us to move beyond that individual relationship into a corporate community so that's what the text is gonna help us to understand. How, how do we move, like, how do you make that move without, like, losing your soul from an individual relationship with God by faith to a corporate, organized community where we all work together, side by side, teamwork, we grow larger and more powerful, and we take over the world, right? Like, how do we do all that? That's God's plan for us, to come to know him as family, to be adopted by faith because of what Jesus has done and then to organize with other people, right? Americans are real good at individualism, but we're not as good at community. And so I think we've got a good kind of plan here for how we can organize, how we can function together as community. We'll read in Exodus chapter 18, and what I'm going to do is just kind of read the tense portion in the middle to get us started, and then we'll go unpack the rest of it. So we're going to start with verse 14. we we'll to start with verse 14, Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. That's really the key. You're not able to do it alone. God calls you to salvation in Christ by faith in Him. What God has done for you, what Jesus has done for you, that Jesus took your sins and He gives you resurrection life, that you can do alone, right? But nothing else in the Christian life can you do alone. He calls us to work together with each other, to serve side by side, to to be a team. He calls you into a family. As an individual, you're called to a new father as he adopts you. But then you're called with all your other brothers and sisters. We've got to figure out how to work as a team. So I'm going to pray for us because this is not just difficult for our culture. This is difficult for me, just to confess I'm a pretty disorganized guy, right? (laughs) And it's easy to fall back into individualism, but God's called us to be a team, to be a family. So I'm gonna pray for us that we'd hear from his word that he'd help us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you teach us. Thank you that you have come for us in Jesus. Thank you that you save us. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we would hear what you have to say to us this morning, that we would understand your goodness And we would understand your plans to incorporate us into a community, into a body, into an organization to do your will in the world. We pray that you would be honored and that this would be a supernatural engagement with your word. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we keep looking back to the Old Testament heroes, this week we're going to focus on Jethro and Moses. So Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And he was the priest of Midian. Uh, and then Moses is the leader of the people of God through the Exodus story. So again, last week I encouraged this. Again, I'd say it, just go back and read all of the Exodus stories. It's good, kind of gripping narrative. It's, if you're new to Bible reading, it's pretty easy to follow these stories and, and quite engaging. Um, as we do that, we also wanna recognize that there are some principles that connect Old and New Testament. Like I said, there are differences, right? Nation state versus multi-ethnic, multinational group that we are in the church today, but there are similar principles. They had to learn to walk with God by faith. We have to learn to walk with God by faith. And they were growing and multiplying and learning to do God's will together as a team. We also have to grow and multiply and do God's will as a team. So here are some uh, illustrations of this that Jesus gives, two little illustrations that Jesus gives for the corporate growing nature of his people This is from Luke 13. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. The mustard seed is one of the tiniest seeds there is, and the Middle Eastern mustard plant, American mustards are not that big, but the Middle Eastern mustard plant would be one of the largest trees that you would grow in your garden. And so, the purpose of this analogy, he's teaching us that it starts very small but then God's kingdom in the world is gonna grow and it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. You and I get to be a part of that, of what God is doing in the world. And then he shares a second analogy. Jesus talks about leaven or yeast working through dough. He says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened, right? It's adding the rise, it's what puffs up the bread and it's this microscopic thing that you can't see but then it spreads and it multiplies and it grows. Question is, well, how do we get from there to there, right? How do we move from that tiny little mustard seed faith, God working in my heart, in your heart, to this worldwide impact that God is calling us to? And I think we're gonna see this beautiful plan that he lays out here in Exodus 18. So here is my basic outline for the morning as we study through Exodus 18. Number one, we're gonna see that we have to get faith, right? You can't move past that first, get faith. Do you have faith? Are you here this morning asking questions? We're, we're glad you're here. We want to convince you that it makes sense to place your faith in Jesus and what he's doing in the world. Get faith. That's the number one thing. Secondly, spread faith. If you've gotten faith, if you believe in who Jesus is and what he's done, then, then you want to spread that to others. You want to share it. We want this to, to multiply and grow and to become viral in a sense. Spread faith. And then the third one is the hardest one. That's organized faith. Organized faith. That's the one That's hard for us to do because even though we know Jesus has forgiven us and set us free from our sins, we still sin, right? (laughs) We still struggle to get along with other people. So that's the hardest part is kind of organizing and working together as a team. So get faith, spread faith, organize faith. So the first point is we've got to get faith. So we're going to back up and start in verse one, and we're going to see Jethro, the pagan father in law, getting faith. We're going to see how he hears about what God has done to save his people. He wants to hear more, he goes and finds out more, and he places his faith in the God of the Bible. So chapter 18, verse 1 says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now I said this last week, but God rescuing his people from Egypt in the Old Testament is like the cross of the Old Testament. People in the Old Testament would be like, man, I'm not sure, where is God? What has he done? And they're like, you know what? I remember. I can trust God. He's a saving God because I look back on his mighty acts in the Exodus. He saved his people. That's who we are. We are a people saved by God. It's in the same way that we, as we struggle in life and we wonder if God is there, we look back to the cross. We say, I know God is there. I know he saves. I know he provides. Who am I? I'm saved by God because I can look back and see what he's done through the cross. And so Jethro hears about the story. The God of the Hebrews is a saving God. He's hearing rumors, and he starts to learn more. Verse 2, now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountains of God. So not that complicated. It appears that when Moses was doing battle with Pharaoh, he thought, you know what? I don't want Pharaoh to murder my kids and my wife. I'm going to send them out to live with father-in-law for a while, right? It seems like that's what's going on here. So now they're returning. They're being reconciled together. Verse 6, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. This is, uh, we wouldn't shake hands in our culture, right? Maybe hug, okay? But this is their their greeting of love. Like, all right, we're back together now. Verse eight, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Let's pause there for a minute. I want you to see this process that Jethro is working through. Jethro hears the rumors of the great salvation that the God of the Bible is working. What's the next thing he He does? He, He then connects with the people of God. And then Moses gives personal testimony of the great salvation of God. This is still how we get faith today. You hear about this God of the Bible that is both just and merciful. It's too good to be true. No other religion has that. But you're like, but these stories about Jesus, it, seem, it seems like there's something there. And so you talk to your Christian friend about this, or you come to a worship gathering of, of Christian people, and you begin to learn from the scripture, and you begin to hear personal testimonies of those that know the saving power of God. That's the steps that Jethro is moving through. He's like, I've, I've heard these rumors. I know some people that are connected to this God. I'm going to go and talk to them about it. And then Moses gives personal testimony, yeah, this is, this is what God has done. Another cool thing here is Moses talks about the hardships that they went through, right? Those of you that know Jesus, when you talk to your friends about Jesus, you don't have to hide the hard things that you've gone through and just give them the pretty version of the story. You can tell them your actual story because God is with you through the ups and downs of life. You don't have to have this plastic faith where you pretend everything's easy. You can share the hardships that you've gone through, but how God has shown himself to be faithful in saving you. And this is what Moses is telling to Jethro. Verse nine, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So he rejoiced. Then listen to this. Jethro makes a public confession in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so we see this beautiful picture of the basic steps of how people come to have faith in God. It's it's the same there as it is now, right? I've heard about this God that saves people. Could that be true? I don't know. We welcome you. We, we always say we gather for both the curious and the committed. Our gatherings are all about committed people growing in their relationship with Jesus, but they're also all about curious people hearing more about Jesus. We're glad you're here. And if you're like Jethro, asking more questions, we want to talk to you more about it. We want to answer the, the questions, the difficulties you might have with, with making sense of this faith that we have in Jesus. So Jethro investigates, he hears more, he gets the personal testimony, and then he moves to public confession. He rejoices in this truth of a saving God, and he declares, this is the true God, this is the greatest God, this is the God who saves. And then he makes sacrifices, and then he has this fellowship meal with the other saints. Do you see how that just follows the same pattern that we live in today? Different culture, right? We're not doing burnt sacrifices anymore, and we have a different sort of fellowship meal but we do rehearse the sacrifice of Christ through the entrance of baptism, right? We come into the people of God publicly, confessing our faith in Christ through baptism, and then we fellowship with one another through, you know, we have our regular potlucks, but we also have the fellowship meal of communion, the symbolic meal where we remember and rehearse the sacrifice of Christ. His body was broken for us, his blood was spilt for us, and we make that central to our gatherings as believers. So here's the thing, you've gotta get faith Before you can organize and spread faith and be a part of what God's doing in the world, you gotta start by getting faith first. And I really wanna focus on that because we often put the cart before the horse. We think, you know, if I start to do God's business, if I start to help people and spread faith and serve my neighbors and help old ladies across the street, God bless you, those are good things, but those things won't earn the blessing of God. The blessing of God comes by faith. You have to start with faith in his provision and what he's given to you already through Christ. Start with God loves me even though I didn't deserve it. I was a sinner wandering away from him, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took our sins upon himself. So Jesus took hold of you and you have faith in what he's done. Because of that, now go love and serve people. And that's so important to get that straight, to get that right, because really otherwise you're falling into a different religion. This is the religion of The Pharisees that struggled with the claims of Jesus when he was coming into first century Judaism. He was always fighting with these religious leaders because they thought they were saved by their works. He's like, no, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by God and his graciousness. Yeah, now go do good works, but you're saved by God. So I grabbed a picture here of putting the cart before the horse. I know a lot of you don't use horse-drawn carriages anymore. I don't know. Some of you might. Anybody? Um, Cars, motorcycles, horse-drawn carriages, So here's the deal. If you're using a horse-drawn carriage, you can't put the carriage or the cart in front of the horse. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I guess it might work for a while, but the horse is going to get real annoyed and you're not going to get very far, okay? And and here's the analogy. The gospel, the good news of a God who is for you in Christ, that's the engine. That's the horsepower. That's the strength that's going to pull you through life. Your cart of good works and faithful service and being involved in your neighbor's lives and helping people around you, that has to be pulled by the power of a God who helped you first. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because God in Christ forgave us. We serve because Jesus served us. So that's gotta drive the cart. That's gotta drive our efforts, and that's really important to get straight. Otherwise, really, frankly, you're falling into a completely different religion. Christianity is is not, I'll do good things and then God will have to bless me. That's every other religion. Christianity is, God has done good to me. God has blessed me in Christ and I didn't deserve it. Now I want to follow him. That's the difference. So we've got to get faith first before we can move on to these next steps. The second step is, then is spreading faith. And this is a kind of interesting story. interesting story because we see uh, Moses doing the right thing but doing it in the wrong way, okay? So that's kind of the tension. Jethro comes in and he's like, what you're doing is not good. You know, that was the part I first read. So Jethro is going to help him to reorganize what he's doing. But we want to start by affirming that he's sharing the the word of God. He's he's spreading the faith that God has given to him. And so in that sense, Moses is doing the right thing. So so we also want to spread the faith that we've been given. So verse 13, it picks up and it says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So Jethro's focused on the method, and he's saying there's there's something broken here, but there's a kernel, a, a core of what Moses is doing that's absolutely right and good that, that we want to emulate as well. Verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, right? Like, They want to hear about God, so I'm telling them about God. It's it's that simple, right? And we should do that as well. We've got friends around us all the time, people that God has put in our path that need to hear about God, and and we got to tell them about God. So in that sense, we're going to emulate Moses as well. Verse 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. So we'll stop there and say, okay, Moses is trying to help them understand the law, trying to help them to apply the word of God in their everyday life, helping them, help them with their disputes and their confusions. They've got questions. We want to be those kinds of people as well, right? And just to be clear, we're not Moses, right? Moses wrote the Old Testament or most, most of the first five books of the Old Testament, right? So Moses writes the Bible. We don't write the Bible, but we do have God's word what God has revealed to us from the finished Bible, and we can share that with other people, right? So in that same way, we share the word that we've been given. We're spreading the faith, although we don't have the full authority that Moses has, right? Same thing in the New Testament with the apostles. The apostles write the New Testament, right? We're not apostles. None of us are gonna write any Bible, okay? But we will spread the Bible, right? We'll spread this faith. We'll share this word. So in that sense, we're imitating Moses. We're imitating the apostles. We're gonna do like them, and we're gonna share the word. We're going to help people sort through their questions. We're going to talk about these things that people struggle with. When they have a question we can't answer, we're going to try to go find a friend that could answer it, right? We're just going to help people wrestle through this stuff. So this is right and good. We want to spread this faith. And as I shared from those New Testament pictures that, that Jesus gave in Luke 13, right, the faith is going to spread that way. Our faith is viral and it is growing and growing and growing. And the way primarily that it has spread. Is by word of mouth, by people like you, people like me, telling our friends about Jesus and what we know about him. That's essentially how it operates. Now, I get to, I have the privilege of getting to like broadcast, right? I get to preach and I get to tell large groups of people at the same time and I get to put some of this stuff on the internet and write articles, right? So I, I may get to tell more people about the faith than you do on an everyday basis but essentially the way it works is regular people telling other regular people about the faith, right? That's the primary driver. Our faith is a viral faith. And so as we understand it, the preaching of the word of God is kind of like throwing lighter fluid on the fire, right? Like I get to help in the process of what you are doing. You are to already be spreading the faith. We have this phrase of like things going viral on the internet. Y'all have heard that before. Viral videos. Uh, I was looking this up. Like one of the viral stories that's really been spreading quickly the last couple of weeks is about this orangutan. Have you seen the orangutan story, anybody? I got a picture of this orangutan that's wearing sunglasses at the zoo. Have you seen the orangutan? Raise your hand if you've seen the orangutan wearing glasses. Okay, I picked the wrong viral story, I guess. (laughs) Or maybe we just have a really godly church and only 10 of you are on the internet. So, (laughs) way to go. this is the kind of just silly stuff that spreads in our culture, right? Somebody dropped their sunglasses into the orangutan enclosure. The orangutan takes them and wears them. And they're like, hey, that's cool, an orangutan wearing sunglasses, right? Silly stuff spreads virally in our culture. And I just, I don't want to be like, you know, an ogre and say, that's bad. But that's great, you know? Read some silly stories. We need more of these kinds of stories and less of the horrible news stories, right? These stories are fun, but wouldn't it be cool if we also virally spread really important things like our faith in Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? Like that's, that's really what I want to see. It's not like we need to stop sharing orangutan stories. Those are great, but we also need to share the most important news in the world. This good news that God is a saving God. This news that Jethro came to for the first time in this story and Moses had seen week after week after week and now Moses is telling other people. We need to be like Moses. We need to be like Jethro and tell other people about this faith. And so that can be overwhelming. I, I recognize I'm a, I'm a professional talker, right? Like I, I get to talk about my faith for a living. So I understand you're in a different situation. So I, I just would say, draw a tight circle around your life and just say, who are the people God's put next to me? Like, who are the people I know that don't know Jesus? And start praying for them. Write their name down in your journal or in the back of your Bible and just say, Lord, give me opportunities to talk to them. Help me connect with them in in real ways. You know, I don't want to be weird about it, but I want to talk to them about this faith I have in Jesus. Who who are those people that God's put near you that don't know Christ, that don't have faith in him? Start praying for those people. And then you've got another circle of people that maybe already know Christ, but they need to be encouraged, right? We all need encouragement. We need someone to come alongside us and kind of say, you can do it. Come on, encourage us, pray for us. Speak faith, spread truth into our lives. Maybe name some of those people. All right, God's put this friend and this friend, and maybe we could get together for coffee. Maybe we could do like a weekly thing where we read some scripture. Maybe we could memorize some Bible verses. We could pray for one another. When we talk about starting your own group, that, that's really all we mean, like grabbing another Christian friend and in, encouraging them in their faith. Start with the circle of influence that God has put in your life. Just kind of draw a circle around those friends that you know and say, all right, I'm gonna pray and try to be faithful in their life. I'm going to spread the faith to the people God's put close to me, family members, people I work with, my neighbors, right? Who are those people? And I'd say beyond that, expand your circle. We talk about this all the time, to serving on a team at the church. To then we're starting to think more corporately, right? We're starting to think more about the organization of the church. Maybe God's put your life in intersection with other teenagers, because you have teenagers. Maybe you could serve with youth group or help us with our summer impact program. Or maybe you've got kids you can serve with children in the children's ministry. Maybe you're a teacher and and you connect with kids. Maybe you know about tech stuff. You could help us with the tech team or with worship as a musician. Or maybe you could help with a welcome team and you just like to welcome random people walking through the door and help them connect with others here at the church. Maybe you could start your own small group. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Take a next step of serving with, with the skills, the gifts, the circles that God has put in your life and he'll use you. Now, I want to move on to the next point, but I have to recognize there's like a hump we have to get over now, okay? So here's the thing. Many of you are already serving, right? That's a natural part of the Christian life, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I want to recognize a lot of why you're already serving is God has put in your heart a servant's heart, right? But here's the thing. A servant's heart is kind of bad at doing the next step, I know this because that's the way I was wired. When I first came to Christ, I just wanted to do whatever Jesus wanted me to do and I would just help out my Christian friends and help out folks at the church. Whatever you want me to do, I'd raise my hand, I'll do it, right? And I'm so thankful for you that do that. That's huge. But then this third point is, is like jumping over that hump to saying, I'm not just gonna serve, I'm gonna invite other people into service. To see how that's like a whole next step, I'm gonna apprentice other people. That's the third point is organizing. We have to recognize that this is going to be difficult for you because if you're naturally a servant, you don't want to inconvenience other people. You want to serve them, right? You don't want to add to their plate, but here's the thing. I think the Holy Spirit wants you to burden them a little bit, to call them in to this great work we're a part of because it's a good and beautiful work that God has engaged us in. It's a, it's a good thing. And so this next step is then calling others to come side by side with us. So verse 17, here's how it unfolds in the story. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. And remember, he's not saying telling people about the faith is not good. He's saying the way you're doing it. It becomes clear in the unfolding verses. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Okay, so here he's affirming the talking to God and talking to the people. Keep doing that part, right? Verse 20, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. It's like, keep doing that part. Keep spreading the faith. Verse 21, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So this is where the change is coming. He's like, find some other people to help you with the work. That's what you need to do, Moses. Verse 22, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So he's saying, keep telling people about the word of God, but you've got to organize, Moses. You've got to bring other people alongside you. You've got to find other people that can help you in the work. And if you do that, then you'll be able to endure. If you've got a servant heart, and you're spreading the faith, and you're like, I'll serve, I'll do whatever needs to be done, what can happen is you can fall into this trap of thinking you're the only one, Right? And here's a really nasty trick that happens to us is we start to think we're better than those other people that are not serving. Look at me, look at all the serving I'm doing, right? And we can start to drift from the gospel itself, right? We start to think I'm the only one doing it and why isn't anybody else doing it? And look at me and no, it's like, you can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. We're not alone. That's a lie of the enemy to convince us that we're alone and we're the only ones doing it. No, you're not the only one doing it there have been a lot of people before you doing it, right? Everybody's involved. God's got this whole family. And so he wants you to keep serving, but he wants you to invite other people to serve with you as well. It's this beautiful principle we see here in Exodus 18. I call it the Jethro principle when, when new people come on staff. I, I try to talk to them about that Jethro principle. Like I'm the pastor, but like I can't answer every question, right? It would be wrong if I tried to answer everybody's question. We have a whole team of pastors, right? There are four pastors at this church, I do most of the teaching, but we have other pastors on staff. We, we can shepherd people as a team. We have seven elders, lay pastors at the church. We have staff members. We have like eight staff members, ministry directors. We have deacons. We have small group shepherds, small group leaders in the women's ministry, and our mixed male and female small groups, and our men's groups, in and, and our celebrate recovery groups, uh, children's ministry, youth ministry. We've got multiple shepherds at this church. I want to say thank you for your ministry. And here's an application for you. If you are being shepherded, being encouraged by others, please say thank you to those that are leading you. I wanna say it right now, thank you. Thank you to our small group leaders, to our children's ministry, servants, deacons, all all of you that are serving in all these different ministries, thank you for your work. I'd be dead if you weren't here, right? (laughs) I would have worn myself out a long time ago. So thank you for your ministry. And I want you, if you're being served by others, to thank them. Write a note, buy them a gift card, say thanks for your ministry. Uh, bless the kids, teachers that are teaching your kids, your small group leaders. Thank them, encourage them. Um, we see this pattern continue as well in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy, we see Paul, it's another father figure talking to a, a son in the faith. So we see Paul talking to Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, "'You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus.'" And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So he didn't tell Timothy, hey, you're my main guy. I trust you and you alone. Don't trust anybody else, right? No, he was like, keep entrusting it to others. That's essentially the work of the church. Another way that this is described in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter nine. Jesus says, pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. So will you pray with us that God would keep sending workers into the harvest? Because again, some of you are, really, you're just at that curious stage. You're just wanting to learn more about Jesus. You're like, I don't need to be teaching any Sunday school classes, right? (laughs) And that's cool. Wait for a while, right? Like listen and learn. But some of you, you've learned, you know some things and it's, it's time to start passing it on. And then once you start passing it on, you need to invite others into it with you. So if you're serving, you need to bring someone alongside you. I know the, the army does this. It's just like standard operating procedure in the army because leadership is always turning over, but you don't always see it in the volunteer ministry world. And so whatever volunteer ministry you're a part of, first of all, thank you for your ministry. You're blessing others and I'm thankful for it. And it's one of the things that makes this a great church. But I want to ask you to, to take a risk and invite other people to help you. Right, like if you're a deacon, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a small group leader, if you're doing some kind of ministry, I want you to look around your circle and say, I know this other person that knows Jesus that could help me with this ministry, and they could come beside you and they could help you with it. They could observe what you do. You could kind of talk with them and debrief about how you do the ministry you're doing, how you're serving people, how you're teaching people. You could help them do part of it. Like, okay, you do part of the lesson, or you do part of this service here. And then you could let them do more of it the next time, and maybe one week you could take a vacation and just leave them in there by themselves, right? But we want to bring other people into the ministry that God has called us to. We pray, pray Jesus send labors into the harvest, but we also invite. We invite others into it. So first of all, thank, thank the leaders that are involved, the, the ones that greet you at the door, the ones that are serving in the different areas. Thank them. We've got One of the best teams around, and I'm so thankful for that. I I could not do what I'm doing without fantastic women's ministry director and and worship pastor and deacons and elders and small group leaders and Sunday school teachers. You guys guys are amazing, and we should give thanks for what God is doing at Grace Bible Church. Um, But secondly, serve and invite other people in to the service process. Invite others. uh, I like to use the word apprentice. Apprentice others. Whatever you're doing, invite them in to that process. All right, I'm going to wrap up here, and I want to come back to the personal relationship with Jesus side of it, okay? So as I said, we're, we're individuals that have a relationship with Jesus. It's a personal relationship by faith in what Jesus has done, and then we're called to organize as a team. We're called to organize together and serve others in our city. And one of the great pictures of this that Jesus gives is in John chapter 15, where he says that he's the vine and we're the branches, Right? And so if, if God's people are this great branch or a great vine of grapes, and we're trying to be fruitful and bless the world with our grapes, right? The only way that we can grow and produce grapes and be fruitful is to stay connected to the main trunk, to the vine, which is Jesus. So it all comes back around to that personal relationship with Jesus, the phrase and the ESV translation is abiding. In other translations, it'll say remain. Jesus is gonna say, you need to stay connected to me or all of this is gonna fall apart. So John 15, five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus wants to bear fruit in your life. And so I wanna call you first and foremost to abide in him, to rest in him and his grace for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us and you do call us into relationship with you. Will you teach us, Lord, to translate that into an organization? God, I confess my own weakness in the area of organization, my own skepticism, but I've seen you be faithful again and again despite my weaknesses to build your people up, to serve others, to make the name of Jesus famous. Help us to trust in you, to remain in you, to abide in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.